Get that pump in, bro. Try to make sure the tries and buys look good for this. You think I got by by looking like Peter Pan over here? <laughs> That's my favorite line from that movie. Hey everyone, what's going on? Portable Trevor here, and today we are we have a very special guest. His name is Nathaniel Mowry. Nathan, what's up, man? Hey, that's my name. How's it going, Trevor? We're sitting actually in the same house, but uh, just doing this uh, in different rooms, doing fantastic. <laughs> yeah, thank you for traveling uh, near and far to come to this interview. Good, uh, twenty feet away, probably. <laughs> So yeah, man. What do you uh, what have you been in, what have you been into today? I uh, just spirit on my desk for one. Um, it's been a pretty fun day. I've been doing a lot of editing. I'm trying to wrap up this documentary I'm doing for DDP, and that's uh, yeah, at a pretty good spot. Like I I'm nearly done. So it's been a like a four year uh, journey. Like um, started this in 2016, and now it's 2020. And I'm just kind of working out the last final little bits. And so now we got the um, last little bit kind of uh, – I'm wrapping that up now. So I added in one last interview. And it's looking really good. So I'm really proud of it. I'm really stoked for everyone to kind of see um, that whole story because it's been nuts, you know. Uh, when did you when did you shoot Relentless? Or am I allowed to say what it's called? Uh, well, I guess you are because you already – <laughs> it's a live stream. I already said it. Yeah. Well, I guess so. But no, Dallas has Dallas talked about it a lot publicly. So it it's something that a lot okay. of people already kind of know about. Uh, I started in uh, I started working on the documentary August of 2016, and uh, so it's been it's been a good minute. And then um, the history of DDP Yoga, um, there's just a lot to cover with with Dallas being like this pro wrestler, and then everything is kind of um, uh, done with. DDP yoga and it's a crazy story and it's um this guy like um you you if you know who Diamond Dallas Page is he was like an icon of of the 90s a huge professional wrestler and he basically wanted to um change his career path and after he was finished with wrestling he started uh, this thing called DDP yoga which was like a health and fitness company but also uh, a production company also just a lot of different other things but mm -hmm. Um, I've been involved with DDP Yoga since 2013, and uh, we have, and but it's been going on for many, many years, and like a, it's a really cool thing to be a part of, and to do a story about it's just amazing. So there's just a lot. Yeah. Of let's uh let's get into that more in a little bit, Nathan. I kind of want to start from the beginning, if that's cool. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. So hang on, just one more second. Uh, Where are you going, Trevor? I'm gonna get headphones because I can hear you through the speakers. Oh, well, that's exciting. Yes. So got a minute um, today. Should have been way more prepared. I know. I probably should still. Maybe I'll just wait for the whole interview. Yeah. So, Nathan, I've known you for about two years now. Would you mm -hmm. say? Um, I think actually, probably three now. I, I met you at Jaren's house. At Jaren's house. Jaren. Uh, we'll get into that Jaren. in a little bit, but uh, so we're getting into. The, in the three years that I've known you, you've honestly been like the most inspirational figure in my life. And you, you live life to the fullest. Like, uh, um, I think I, I really want to thank you for uh, all that you've done for me, but um, yeah, I, I kind of want to start from the beginning. Like, 
how does somebody like you even get started in a business like this? It seems just insane. Like um, I've had a lot of people ask me and I'm not even like where you are, but people ask me like, how do you get started? Like, where do you do this? How do you do that? So let's just start from the beginning. Like what got you into filmmaking? Man, I, I've filmmaking has been something that I've loved my entire life. Even, um, you know, with Robert, you know, who lives at this house with me all the time and just he's like my best friend so when we were kids little kids like when we were five years old we get our mom's vhs cameras and we just filmed goofy skits with our brothers and stuff and um and then i just never stopped it so it was just a way of of playing us and, and then it's just a fun way of exercising creativity as i got older and um it's just something that's always been a part of me i've never had a moment in my life where i didn't have a camera in my hand really and i've always just been making and stuff and shooting stuff so um yeah i'd probably say when i first picked up a camera is when i was five and i've pretty much consistently have filmed since then you know it's been an ongoing thing all life and uh do you remember like what's your first memory with the camera Man, it's hard. It's hard to say, but I'd say like, like the furthest back that I can think of, I remember being at like Robert's house, and we took his mom's VHS camera and everything, and we just film all these like skits and stuff. And I remember there was one skit where uh, we like we were like six years old, and we were just like doing stuff in front of the camera, and we're like, oh no, if we're here, then who's running the camera? And then we were like, <laughs> just like started shaking, and then I just remember Robert's oh my poor camera. That's kind of like their like, I'm sure I filmed before then, but yeah, so I'm at that. And a uh, quick question, Nathan, do you have a premiere open or anything just to make the connection run a little smoother? I do. Let me yeah. get rid of it. Yeah. Closing that and like any other like big programs will definitely help. All right. Let me close. Oodles and oodles of tabs. There you go. See you Spotify. We'll see you later. And maybe that was the only thing I had open. So. So this is what everyone clicked on this link for. Yeah, to watch Nathan close apps. <laughs> on. But yeah, cool. That'll help. I, I mean, you weren't too bad. It was just like it'll help a little bit. It'll help. It'll help a little more. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So but yeah. So Heather wants to know: uh, Do you still have the footage, or do you ever plan on releasing that on like Kind Punk early years? That'd be really fun. I've wanted to do yeah. like a document about the everything up until this point because i think there is a really cool story to be told about uh kind of the kind of house or even like uh like you know like again with with robert and everything and just making all all of these videos i'm sure that we'll make something because i we just we're just sitting on like a bunch of footage like i have most of everything recorded like uh or still have most of everything so i'm sure at some point we'll do like a, a documentary or something with with all the footage which i'd be super stoked on something that i actually have uh talked to robert about um pretty recently yeah that'd be a great idea yeah 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 and um, uh let's see zach wants to know what's the worst thing you've made that people can still find on the internet <laughs> that's a great question i think the if you just find my youtube page and you just start going back further and further there's a lot of really good stuff um oh so it's really that easy to find it's probably pretty easy to find i don't really delete many things off the internet so if you want to find me uh looking like an idiot then yeah just literally scroll into your before 2014 and then you'll you'll hit the jackpot so i don't know if there's exactly one 
example of that that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, you just do, you just type in my, type in my name on YouTube and then you could find a bunch of dumb things. Nice. Well, to continue the timeline. So you, during the early years, you used, uh, Robert's mom's camera. Uh, what was, do you remember your very first camera that like you owned? Uh, yeah, we had like a little VHS camera. I remember we used a lot, but I think that was more of like a family I can't remember. Man, there's a squirrel just acting crazy out my window. But um, and then I got like this little—I uh, forgot exactly the model of it. it. Was like a little digital camera and everything. And so I started using that. And my memory card was so small, I could only have like 20 seconds of footage at a time. And I remember like just going because I lived next to a sawmill. Uh, I grew up, and that would be like our playground. Me and my brothers would go there, and we'd just goof off at the sawmill. And we and I, and me primarily, I would just set my camera up, and I would set up because there would be all, all this wood and stuff at the sawmill. Set it up, and I just jump off the of trucks, and different stuff at the sawmill, and just you know recreate wrestling or stunts and stuff to to just uh, you know entertain myself. <laughs> so what was the dumbest? What was the dumbest thing you guys did? Uh, I don't know. There's there's a lot of really dumb things. Um, I used a lot of fluorescent light tubes when I was a teenager. So I remember one time right before I went to camp, I jumped off this. I set myself on fire, and I jumped off of a uh, this little shed, and I went through a table that was covered in glass. And so I ended up cutting my butt really nice. And uh, I remember uh, bleeding out my butt, so that was really fun. And jeez, uh, I've been knock- I've tied tied my legs to the back of a four wheeler, and I got knocked out with a four wheeler. I tased myself in the balls. For like, I've done a lot of really good. So, yeah, a lot. Good lot Lord. <laughs> I can't even. Yeah, I, I was superhuman before superhuman was superhuman. That Is one, superhuman, your your hero. I'm superhuman hero. No, I <laughs> got to meet superhuman at the beginning of the year, January first. I met him backstage at AEW, and that was a real hoot. He actually. Oh, did you actually it. met him. Yeah. Oh, dude, I freaked out. Like I was back. I was. Wow. I was back interview, and I was looking at Dylan and Robert, and they were looking at me because they knew that I was about to have a big reaction. <laughs> and then I see uh, Superhuman, and I'm like, "That's oh Superhuman." He actually did a thing where he jumped off the road case and went through a table, and it was hilarious. So, hello, weld, and it was a wonderful memory. That's amazing. Uh, Zach wants to know. Okay, so quick story. Uh, our roommate James was. Uh, doing a film and he, he or I was the main character and he wanted me to jump off of our house roof like a little I don't even know what you call it it wasn't the top of the house roof but I jumped off onto a bunch of pile of mattresses and boxes and Nathan filmed it it was great uh, Zach wants to know was was it a rite of passage for Trevor to jump off the roof when he first moved to Georgia I think so I think that it's I, I think uh, me being like uh, the stupid things that I've done and when people think of my videos and things, a lot of times they associate it with those kind of activities so for Trevor to move into my house and then proceed to leave off of my house. Like that was very much a rite of passage and it was a way of almost like showing that, Hey, Trevor definitely belongs here. <laughs> so, yeah, that was like the first house stunt. Yeah. It was also, it also happened like, uh, when my brother Nick visited for the first time. So it was funny. He's like in the driveway. He's like in his uh, work, like work. Clothes. And then there's Trevor like on the roof and a bunch of guys just with their phones, just like getting ready to film. It was really good. 
Speaking of which, this could be my one second video. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it was just a great first impression for my brother to walk up on my house with someone leaping off the deal. So it was great. Um, that's something cool to talk about, I think. So you do this thing, and I, I started this because of you, uh, this thing called One Second Every Day. And how long have you been doing that? I've been doing One Second Every Day every single day since January 1st of 2014. So I haven't, And you've not missed a single day? Nope, I haven't missed a single day. I'm, that's awesome. Like a person, right? um, but yeah, I haven't missed uh, a single day, which is cool. And that's like one of my favorite things that I, I get to do. It's like... Um, at first, like, it's kind of boring. Like you can film like your friends, like, uh, or your roommates or whatever eating cereal. And you're like, this is kind of boring. This is lame. But you go six years from now, something so minor becomes huge. It's, it's, uh, a really cool thing. And, um, so having be, being able to look at every single day of the last six years of my life, it's awesome. Like, I really want to sit, like, it's like a 30 minute video. I can literally watch through more half a decade of everything that I've experienced on a day-to-day basis and it's cool with uh, yourself and um, learning about your history and, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words. And so you, you watch this, this thing and you get to feel every emotion you felt in the past six years. And so oftentimes it's overwhelming, but I think in the best way. That's awesome. So to go back to the Nathan Mowry timeline, so you got your first camera and uh, so Let's, let's kind of jump ahead a little bit to whenever you discovered uh, – and what was the Family Force 5 show? Oh, the Really Real Show. The Really Real Show. So let's talk about you discovering that and the man himself, Isaac Dietz. The man himself, Isaac Dietz. Okay, so here's, here's the thing. I was watching um, – uh, when I was a teenager, actually I just – in general, I'm a really huge fan of music and alternative music and stuff. And when I was a kid, I was really into a band called Family Force Five, as a lot of people my age were. And um, like, I just who didn't they love were, Love Addict. Who didn't love Love Addict? It's just a band. Love Addict, Love Addict. Anyway, but go ahead. <laughs> just I love Family Force Five. They were so fun and had just a different kind of vibe, and it was just it was kind of cheeky and it was just like over the top. And I just loved everything about it so um with that came along this mockumentary series called the really real show which was created by isaac Dietz. and um isaac Dietz later on played a massive part in uh, in my life and yeah who doesn't who doesn't know the wobble you know everybody, everybody. every every youth group lock-in every the wobble got it. so it's um yeah so kind of kind of there so i just kind of discovered the real real show and after that it's kind of how I discovered Isaac and one day I was on Facebook and I saw that I saw on the people you may know there was Isaac Dietz and I'm like hey that's the guy that does the real real show I love that I'm gonna just you know reach out and just say what's up you know whatever and then I I sent him a DM and I was just like hey man like uh, like I make videos this is the kind of stuff I make like if you have any like thoughts or notes or whatever, let me know. And he, uh, and he always was just really honest with his feedback. He'd be like, Hey, this is not good. This is why this is not good. This was really good. And this is why this is good. And he was just very encouraging. And he gave me really good feedback. And we just started, you know, developing a really good friendship. And like, uh, he's always just kind of been an older brother, uh, for me in life. Isaac, Isaac's amazing. So 
you're messaging this guy on Facebook and so back in Cleveland, Tennessee, where you're from, um, you graduate high school, you start, uh, uh, I think you told me you started working for your dad and for this factory. And, um, so tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. Well, not, not working for my dad, but I ended up working at the same place my dad works. Oh, you're the same place. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I worked at Cleveland utility. It's like in uh, good old Cleveland, Tennessee for a good minute reading electric meters. And so that was a hoot. Um, I got bit by dogs and I got, I would walk around in people's backyards in the wee hours of the morning, wanting their electric usages. And the thing is, like nobody's ever seen an electric meter reader in their backyard before because they've used the exact same guys for the past 700 years or whatever. And then until they decided to hire the fresh new 19 year old Nathan, and they didn't even give me a jacket on the first time. So I was wearing my hot topic hoodie in people's backyards at like six o'clock in the morning. And people were just like, what is it? And so I got yelled at a lot. So that was really fun. People didn't know what I was doing or whatever. So who's this punk in my backyard? <laughs> we should kill him. Yeah. So. <laughs> That was fun. What's a My Chemical Romance? Yeah. <laughs> What's a My Chemical Romance? So, that was yeah, fun. so you're working that job. And uh, so I remember you told me you kind of had this epiphany whenever uh, well, you, you were like you were like wrapping up uh, Twix bars or something. Yeah. And this, yeah, so tell me about that. There's this place called, I don't know, what, I don't actually don't want to say the name of the place, but there's probably not a good idea. Yeah, I don't want to like, you know, I don't ever want to like talk bad about people or things or places or whatever but there was a, a place that i work a factory and it was like a chocolate factory and it's not as exciting as willy wonka on the chocolate factory if you would, if you would imagine and so i was like sitting in one location and i was putting nutty buddies into boxes and i had to do this i had like a 10-hour shift so i was putting nutty but buddies in boxes and i remember at one point i was just like all right it's got to get close to you know, 10 hours, I've been doing this forever. And then I turned around, I look at the clock, and it's been two hours, and I'm just like, oh, man, this is going to take forever. So by, I remember I talked to somebody at like in the break room. He's like, yeah, I've been here for like 30 years. And I'm just like, 30 years you've been doing this? Like, And that's not me hating on people that you know work in factories or whatever. I think that's awesome. I think that they're, they're great jobs, and people should definitely – do this job. But for me, that just wasn't um, what I was, you know, what I wanted to do. So I really had to do something else. And so I had this moment where um, I remember leaving Flowers Bakery, sitting in my car, and I hated it so bad. And I said the name of the place, but I left the factory and I was just so bummed out. I was just like, I hate this. I don't want to work in a factory. And I almost like cried. I was just so defeated. And I turned my car on and the lyric, on the radio, it was Rock 105, which is like the local rock station in, in Cleveland. There was the song She uh, by Green Day like uh, came on. And like there's a lyric that says, all of her doubts are someone else's point of view. And that was the first thing I played when I turned my car on. And it made me think like, oh, okay, so all of the doubts are someone else's point of view. So maybe all the doubts that I have in my life are coming from listening to other people and other people's plans and visions that they have for my life rather than mine or God's. And, and for me, I was just like, okay, well, I do believe that I was created to be a creative. And so I need to go be creative because if I don't, I will lose my mind. And I think that was uh, like a, a big moment for me where I was like, okay, well, maybe factories are not for me. They're great jobs. Again, not, you know, not hating on that at all. 
Like, but for me, it just wasn't for me. And then Isaac. Um, so did, or did you have a lot of doubts whenever, like, cause you, you said, you said that lyric resonated with you. So do you yeah. think that it was ultimately you keeping yourself from pursuing your dreams? I, I think so, man. And I think it was at the time I was just kind of scared. Isaac Deeds, the guy I was t- telling everybody about was he, he, uh, he asked me, he was like, um, he's like, hey, I moved to Atlanta, Georgia. He he was in Atlanta for a bit, but then he moved to California. And then he came back and he called me and he was like, hey, I'm moving to Atlanta, Georgia. And I want to make this house called the Thunderdome. And I want to fill it with filmmakers who kind of want to, you know, get their feet wet in the business. And you're kind of like uh, someone that I have, like, you know in mind for this and and for a while it took me a good while to kind of uh you know do it like i would be like ah, i don't really want to move to atlanta and be a creative i don't really know it sounds kind of scary and then i'd go do jobs i hate and then at that point i was like you know what i need to just do this this is a great opportunity i was terrified but man like i'm about to sneeze <laughs> bless you yeah Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> so anyway, but um, yeah, I just like, I remember um, just having this moment where it was like, I remember going across the street, like um, there is a uh, like a barn that me and my friends used to do like front flips out of into big piles of hay and whatnot, and pretend that we were Jeff Hardy or whatever. And I went over there to kind of think and to meditate and to pray and whatever. And I remember just having this really uh, clear like moment of like you need to go and you need to go to Atlanta and you need to pursue filmmaking. And, I, and then it was such a clear thing for me. And then I was, it's almost uh poetic, like a place of such like <laughs> uh, destruction and chaos became like your moment of uh, clarity. It is. And I'll always love that born loft, man. It's, it's uh, we always just, it was called the loft and it was funny like me and my brothers that that was like a very common place of hanging out like me and my friends like we used to do uh swan tons, which was which is like a front flip that you land on your back or whatever and we would jump off this like uh barn loft to do flips and it was just this thing that we did and it was like oh yeah can you go over to their house and do flip off the off the thing that'd be cool and so um so that was like always like a great place to hang out and to do film a lot of stuff and so um, it was also in that same barn where I kind of just, um, it really sat with me that I, okay, I need to be a creative. I need to be a filmmaker. I need to go make things. And so I, I remember having that prayer, that talk, that moment and next over the next couple of days talking to Isaac and be like, all right, I'm doing it. Let's, let's go. Like I'm scared to death. Like, and I, like, I'm not prepared, but at some point, like you, you can only be so prepared. At some point, you just gotta go. You just gotta do it. And you gotta just take a jump. And, and a lot of the times, that's just kind of how I I do things now. Where it's like, am I ready to handle this? Absolutely not. Am I going to? Yes. So, and a lot of times, that's just has has worked out for me. Just kind of figuring out. As do you as remember? Because uh, the drive from our hometown to Atlanta is about two hours. Do you remember what was going through your head on that ride there for the first time when you were moving in? Yeah, I do. I remember like uh, it was. I remember waking up at my parents' house and thinking to myself, "Wow, this is the last time like I'm waking up in this house as someone that lives here." You know, now I'm 
for the first time I like moving outside my parents' house. And we've all like most of us have experienced what that's like. And it's a crazy uh, transition. And I remember I, I took like I was following my parents. My parents had like a big trailer loaded full of stuff and they moved me down to Atlanta and I was falling behind them. And it was me and Naaman. We were sitting in the in this car and like uh, I remember when I got there and I remember me uh, giving my parents a hug and I kissed my parents and then they shut the door and I remember like when they shut the door and I heard the sound of the door close I was just like man that's it and welcome to adulthood you know wow. it's, it's real life and I remember Isaac being like hey man I'll let I'll let you have a few moments like because uh, it's just like a big moment you know anybody that down to the parents house when they're you know, like I was 19, so I was still, you know, pretty young. And, uh, so it was just, uh, yeah, man, it was just a really cool, cool moment. I'm really glad that I took that chance. And that's always been kind of like part of my message to people. It's always like, Hey, you literally have one life to live. So go take that chance. Go, go, you know, take a dive at what you want to do because you only get so many trips around the sun. You literally like when you get when you put it in the ground, you're not getting another chance at life. So literally, you have one opportunity to do what you want with with this life. So it is your obligation to do. And do do you remember? Uh, do you remember exactly what your parents told you? Uh, do you remember that conversation very well? Whenever you were like, "Hey, I'm gonna I want to move to Atlanta." Uh, a little bit, I think. Like, I think they were they were. They've always been really supportive, so my parents were very supportive of it. And uh, yeah, I mean, they obviously don't want their because on one hand, it's like, all right, well, Nathan, he's going to go move to another state and a big city with a guy that he knows from the internet, so that's kind of like whatever. So like, but once I went and once my parents like met met Isaac and everything, once stayed down there for a minute, they they were uh, they were pretty pretty uh, they were they were always cool with me and always very supportive. So. Uh, that reminds me a lot of my parents whenever I moved to moved here to Atlanta because uh, technically I kind of met you through the internet <laughs> and they were like or when I told them they were like you barely even know this guy and you're gonna and I was like yeah I, he believes in me and I believe in him yeah man and, <laughs> so what, thanks mom and dad for believing in us <laughs> dad. yeah so yeah. you you moved to Atlanta and. Do you remember your very first night there? I do. Like, I remember uh, just moving everything into my room and just kind of sitting there. And I was like, whew, all right, well, here we are. This is not like a, a thing that I'm thinking about. This is like, we're in it now, so I got to make this work. And God bless Isaac, like, for uh, always just uh, supporting me in all of it. And, man, it was crazy because, like, Isaac was teaching me how to do a lot of things. And I really, I ended up breaking or misplacing or whatever. A lot of his different gear, just because of inexperience, I was super green. So bless Isaac for uh, putting up with me through all those years. What did you break? Uh, I don't know. Just, it was just like, it was like a bunch of small things. Like, I don't know. I don't even really remember. I just remember I broke stuff. <laughs> it would, you know, I don't even remember. But I do know I messed stuff up. Or like, whether it be like XLR cables or like, mics or whatever you know mm -hmm. and who moved in with you moved in with me yeah to the thunderdome or were you the fir very first one very first one so okay i thought it was like a group thing for some reason yeah so it was like uh 
Isaac, my friend Neely, and my friend uh, Kyle Dedman. They were already there. They were already established filmmakers. I was a uh, protege of Isaac Dietz, the, the first follower of Dietzism, the disciple of Dietz. And, <laughs> and so I was the first one to uh, move in in that regard, and that and that was cool. But later on, we had – I think the next person to move in was Frank Abamonte, and then after Frank Abamonte, we had Skylar Smith, and we had John Gabriel, and then we had Oodles and Oodles of more that kind of followed. And then I, I stayed at the – at the Thunderdome learning about a bunch of stuff and which is funny like not only that but um Fathom Force Fly which is the band that got me uh, into Isaac's work um they hired Isaac to do a music video and I was just like yeah let's do a music video and we ended up doing it in Cleveland Tennessee and we ended up like uh, hey. which is cool we shot it at Lee University which is you know we're from and you guys broke the elevator in and the music building there, yeah Isaac broke the elevator <laughs> in the wobble music <laughs> But I, I was there for Wobble, and I remember driving there, and I remember passing somebody that was reading my old electric meter out. And I was just like, man, for some reason, that's awesome. Yeah. Enjoy the hot weather, nerd. No. <laughs> I was just like, there's a weird moment where I was like, man, that, that was really cool. And uh, and so it was a really awesome thing to experience. I was like, I'm into this now. This is this is the right decision. Yeah. Uh, TF721 wants to know what is your favorite thing about filmmaking? Well, I feel like it just with art, like in general, or just any kind of creative thing, I think um, art, I think, um, can put words to certain feelings or emotions that we can't fully express. Like when we listen to a song that means a lot to us, like it pulls out something and it creates some kind of comfort. And for me, I like to create those experiences with people in various different forms, whether it's like, I like to make people laugh. I like to make people feel comfortable. I like uh, people to feel, you know, inspired or, or very comfortable or uncomfortable if the occasion calls for it. Um, I like just knowing that you can put something that's part of you that comes from inside of you, put it like in the form of a video or whatever, and then just getting a reaction out of out of people or moving people or even doing videos when I you know because I work with DDP and everything you work with DDP as well so you make these videos that are inspiring to people and then people are like oh yeah I saw that video and it inspired me or I wanted to hurt myself and then I saw this video that you guys did and it, it I decided not to do that kind of thing and so those those kind of things are, are some of my favorite elements and also on on a different level of just like um, Luckily, with filmmaking, it's it's taken me to a lot of different places, and I've got to experience really cool things. I've got to experience, you know, other countries, or I've gotten to go on tours, or I've gotten to be involved with pro wrestling, or like all these things that I've loved ever since being a little. Kid. Filmmaking has created these opportunities for me, while I still get to, you know, pay my bills with that, which I feel like the luckiest man in the world for that. Absolutely. Uh, Brandon, I see your question. How was working with Corey Taylor? Definitely want to get into that. I think that will be a little bit further down Nathan's timeline, but uh, um, I love that answer, Nathan. But uh, let's, let's keep going with your, your timeline because uh, uh, that's really what I wanted to get into with this interview. So sure. do you remember your very first gig that you yes. got when you moved to Atlanta? This is a really interesting story. So um, her name was Sandy Kramer, and she was a sir, and uh, so she did a speaking gig. I think she was speaking to a bunch of like um, 
like younger women and everything. And I went to go document it. So I was like filming it. And then her sons like were with her. And then I, one of her sons, I was just like, man, this guy looks super familiar. And I'm like, I was like, I don't know. I've seen you before. I can't put my finger on it. I was just like, whatever. It maybe he just looks like that. And then I remember like uh, that guy being like, Hey, this has been bugging me the whole time, but you look like someone I know. And uh, half the time people say, Oh, do you know, you look like Mac from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. But you didn't actually tell me that this time. And I was like, Yeah, you look familiar. I was like, Where are you guys from? And you know, they're like, Oh, we're from Cleveland, Tennessee. And I'm like, Oh, I'm from that area. You know, I'm from Polk County, but I spent a lot of time in Cleveland. And, and uh, I remember like when, uh, like, they uh, essentially said, or then this moment clicked. I was like, oh, wait, you were the people that hired me to work at the factory <laughs> that I decided. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and they were also my first client on the other side. So the, I, I, worked, I went through a temp agency, and so I guess that family, or, or at least that guy was involved in that temp agency. So he hired me for my last factory job. And so when I quit, wow. I picked up this random gig that Isaac gave me, and it ended up being like that guy's mom and he was there and it was just such a weird thing. So that's insane. Yeah. And, um, how long did you work? Um, or how, how long did you live in Atlanta before you got the gig with DDP yoga? Um, so I moved into the Thunderdome. Um, you can see my tattoo here. Um, and it's important enough to me to get this. This is not a Gatorade logo as a lot of people think it is, uh, the, uh, a thunderbolt or a lightning bolt uh, to tell the difference, but that's beside the point. So I got a tattoo representing the Thunderdome. I moved in November 1st of 2011. So that's one, 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 a lot of ones. That was the day I moved to Atlanta and uh, I uh, lived at the Thunderdome until uh, about, I think it was February 1st of 2014. That's when I moved out and I just felt like it was, uh, I felt like I learned enough and I got that job at DDP yoga in the summer of 2013. So about early 2014, I'm like, you know what? I, I have this full gig going and this is kind of something I see myself doing long term. So I kind of, I, I realized, all right, I need to make room for the next, you know, uh, people to come through the Thunderdome. And I thought about it and then I decided to kind of move out from there. Wow. And, uh, so how did you get the job with DDP yoga? It was, you know, it's funny. Like if anybody knows me, they know that I'm a really big uh, pro wrestling fan. I've been a pro wrestling fan my whole life. I've, I've been obsessed with the collective action figures, the DVDs, any, anything like people would be like, okay, we get it. Nathan, please shut the hell up. about wrestling. We get it. <laughs> yeah. It's just always been something I've loved. And um, so that's kind of part of me as a person and it's inseparable. And Neely, who lived at the house, called me up one day and she was just like, hey, uh, hey, Nathan, do you still edit? And I was just like, yeah, I, I still edit. And she was like, uh, well, do you still like pro wrestling? I was like, oh, yeah, I love pro wrestling. And she's like, OK, well, Diamond Dallas Page is trying to find some more editors if you're interested. And I was like, I was like, what? <laughs> I thought it was a joke, you know, and it was just like this is sick. I want to, yeah, I want to meet Diamond Dallas Page. Are you kidding? I had a foster sister named Dallas Page after this guy. So it was such a crazy full circle. Thing. So 
Like I went and then Dallas ended up being the coolest dude ever. Did I tell you the story about when I first met Dallas, by the way? I think so. But for the purpose of the stream, please tell it. Cause it is hey, a funny story. Let's talk about this. So there's a movie called the resurrection of Jake the snake. I don't know if you've, any of you guys have seen this, but you need to go check it out. It's, it's one of the main reasons I got hired by Diamond Dallas Page is to uh, work on this documentary about another wrestling icon named Jake the Snake Roberts. And it's not it's no secret that he has struggled with a lot in his past with a lot of addiction issues. And uh, it's invited him into his house and was like, all right, I'm going to bring in him as an addict and I'm going to help him because I love this guy get clean. And this was my first experience dealing with people with addiction and dealing with the kind of things that come along with that. And it was, it was crazy. So the day that I um, started working, Jake had unfortunately relapsed while Dallas was on vacation. So when Dallas got back, Dallas was so pissed. So if you see the part of the movie where Dallas gets back from Costa Rica, no timeline wise, that's about when I started. And so I remember Steve, my boss, he was, um, filming like Dallas and Jake talking it out, but they were really just yelling at each other. And I see was like, Hey, send me, bring, bring up a new battery in Dallas's room. And I was like walking, I was just walking with the battery and I was like knocking on the door and then he like opens it. And then I just hear Dallas just like screaming at Jake and I was just terrified. I was like, Oh my God. And I, uh, I remember like, uh, going and, uh, like I was like terrified. I was like, oh man, because all I knew about DDP was from what I saw on television, and he was just like this big intimidating guy. And I remember editing like at Dallas's house, being like, man, this guy's scary. And him walking up, putting his hand on my shoulder, and be like, hey kid, what you working on? And I was like, oh. <laughs> but then he ended up being one of the nicest, sweetest human beings uh, I've ever met in my life. And honestly, I have learned more from Diamond Dallas Page then I'd say anybody in my life outside of my parents, like I feel like I've learned more about life from him. Um, amazing human being. I can't put over enough. Can't say enough nice things about him. Um, yeah. He just means, means a lot to me. Well, your story meeting him is way cooler than mine. Mine is literally, I went to work one day and Tasha was like, uh, Hey, let's go meet Dallas. And I was like, okay, cool. So I go around the corner. I see this giant, in front of me, he has his back turned, at looking at a door, talking to somebody on the other side of the office. And Tosh was like, hey, Dallas, we want you to meet Trevor. He's our new editor. Dallas turns around with the most unimpressed looking face ever and just goes, oh, what's up, man? And just like shakes my hand. And I'm like, I've heard a lot about you. <laughs> and he, he was really nice. I think he may have, maybe he was probably just tired that day. But that story is way cooler. <laughs> it was, it was really funny. Like, yeah. Yeah, I love him. He's just such a good dude. And, I've, and, and I feel like I'm extra just about Dallas right now because I, I'm editing Relentless. So I'm just like, man, what a guy. What a dude. And then, so, yeah. I mean, that's a good segue. We can talk about the documentary. Um, what can you tell us about it? Yeah, so I'm doing a, a documentary called Relentless. And it's about um, M. Dallas's Page's life post-wrestling. And uh, talking about DDP Yoga, which is a company that me and Trevor both work for. And uh, it's a really cool, fun company. It's production, but it's health and fitness. It's also pro wrestling. It's like all sorts of different things, and it's really fun. So um, this is kind of about that story about how somebody that was, you know, a main event, like wrestling legend, and how he transitioned from that into being 
uh, this guy that does DDP yoga, which is you know, like wrestlers doing a yoga based thing is like ridiculous, you know? So he, he talks about kind of like how he, uh, like how he basically invested all of his savings from wrestling into this. So if it didn't work, then literally all the money he made from wrestling would have not meant anything. And he literally bet on himself and, uh, it's a crazy story, and so I'm really uh, thankful and blessed I get to be the person that gets. The How much it. money did he put into it? Uh, I don't even remember the exact dollar amount, but it's like I know it got to the point, like it says, like in the documentary, and uh, I guess to a point where he, like, and I don't want to give it like a lot away, but uh, yeah, they're kind of game point in the story. I think this isn't a trailer. You guys can probably Google the trailer. Um, but there's a part where he said, um, he's like, well, we have like a year to make BDP yoga work or it's just not going to, I have like $100,000 left from wrestling. I'm going to put all of this in here. So I'm literally going all in, no pun intended on making this work. And so he short sold his house, moved to Atlanta and he's like, just bet on himself. He literally put it all on the line, hoping that it would work out. And it did. That's incredible. So, yeah, it's like the balls that Dallas has when he, he like truly believes in himself, and he's also someone that can help other people believe in themselves too. And like I feel like I'm the same way because before I worked at DDP, I didn't really have a lot of like you know self confidence, but now I feel like now that I've been there, I feel like I have a lot more self confidence to do what it is that I need to do in life. You know, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What do you think is the key to confidence? Like, do you remember an exact point in your life whenever you, you were like, yeah, I can do this. I can, I'm a very capable human. There's no reason I shouldn't be confident. Man. Um, I really think like, like this is like a thing that Dallas says a lot. It's, he says, it's a story you tell yourself. And I do think that goes a long way. And I think a lot of us, we can get, very much into our own heads where we're sitting there like, man, no one loves me. No one cares. Like if I died, who would care? Like we just, we just beat ourselves up and we think like our problems are not important. We think that we're not important. But once you start realizing that you are, um, that you have worth and you, that all these things are just nonsense in your brain and you put these aside and like, uh, it is the story that you tell yourself. So once you, for, for me, I was just always really cynical and negative and, and I was like, who cares? No one, this or whatever and now it's like you know what? it doesn't matter if people like this or don't like it i want to make it because i like it and i'm going to just do that and now i and then you start valuing other people's opinions about what you create less and i think for me it was uh once i started changing the story i told myself i ended up being a lot happier of of a person you know be like no you know i do deserve good things and i do deserve to be treated with respect and like i do get to make this art and I absolutely love this and no one's going to tell me what I can't do as far as uh, creating. And so once you just, uh, once you start believing that you are worthy of respect and you just start respecting yourself and you start telling yourself that you, you respect yourself, everything kind of naturally kind of follows from there. So I think mm -hmm. the best place is to start in your own brain and your own thought life. Cause sometimes people will be like, you know, it's, it kind of feels like I'm lying to myself because I really don't feel this way about myself. Well, keep lying because you, your anxiety that you have or or the negative things that you keep in your brain is all lying. So if you're lying to yourself one way or the other, you might as well go with positivity because that positivity is going to take you a lot further than dragging yourself down, which absolutely gets you nowhere.
you know. That's that's a good answer. And so what what exactly is the story that you tell yourself? Um, I always it, I I believe in positive self affirmations, as goofy as it may seem. But like you know, when you wake up in the morning and you're and I'm driving to work, I'm like, today will be a good day because it says it's gonna be a good day. Like I want to have fun. I want to have a lot of laughs. I'm gonna create something to the best of my ability. It's gonna be awesome. And so you just you talk to yourself. You keep saying these kind of things. I'm gonna blow people out of the water. This is gonna be good. This is gonna be a well edited video, or I'm gonna direct this. And then you just and you just stop thinking about all the hangups. You just, and for me, I feel like there's a counterintuitive approach if you just stop caring about what people think, or if you just start caring about the mistakes or the fear. And once you realize that. Fear is necessary in order to gain anything that you're chasing after. Um, failure is a necessary part of success. And once I realized that, I just started doing that. I remember like I went skating with Isaac and I remember we were skating in a swimming pool and I was scared. I was afraid to go up like the, the wall. And he's just like, hey, the best thing to do is you just got to fall off that board and just hit the pavement. And I realized that works in all aspects of life because once you just overcome your fear and you take that step and you actually do fall – like you're able to uh, like realize, hey, that's not so bad. And then you kind of lose that fear of it all. And uh, yeah, so keep failing and fail your way to the success and just keep getting back up and keep striving towards it because eventually you learn how to uh, maneuver your way through uh, whatever it is you're trying to do and confidence kind of comes with that. I think it like uh, I forgot the quote, but um, Edison or whatever – estimate the light bulb right so yes. he like uh what was his quote it was um i didn't uh fail ten thousand times in making a light bulb i just found ten thousand ways of how not to make a light bulb and i feel like it's just you have a different perspective on uh on yourself and i feel like that will well very carry over a lot into your mentality if you can just tame tame your brain because if you can control your thought life, then you can do a lot and you'd be, you'll surprise yourself. Yeah. And I think another misconception of people like us, filmmakers and creatives is that we, all we do, you see all the flashes, you see like, Oh, this guy can hold a camera. This guy can um, edit a video and stuff like that. But really I feel like being creative and being an artist is much deeper than that. It's learning it's almost like being a mathematician. It's like figuring out this algorithm before anyone else can and figuring thing, things out on your own. And that's really what I think mostly being a creative is. It's much deeper than, you know, being a philosopher or, uh, you know, trying or doing all these like big story things in your, your art. I hope I'm making sense right now and I'm not rambling, Yeah. but uh, like, it, can you remember a time that, you were so frustrated with something and that you were trying to make. And then you like tweaked maybe one or two things and then it became this beautiful thing. And you were like, finally, like this is something I created and it's right in front of me now. Everything I've ever made. Um, (laughs) And there's a lot of different examples. I think for me, like people get so caught up in doing what they think is cool rather than what they want to make or stuff that comes from them. I feel like there's a lot of people that are our age that are creatives and filmmakers that rather be Wes Anderson cover bands. They rather be their own unique thoughts or ideas, you know, and I'm not saying that that's bad, but yeah. we have to create like our own kind of thing. And I feel like that's um, another 
another Dallas ism, you know, if you want to say it's, I have always related this because there's, there's better than there's less than and different than. And I feel like if you always go different than, then your art's just going to stand out. And so it doesn't even matter if it's better or worse, you know, um, if that makes any sense or if that was the question, I kind of forgot what we were talking about. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think it definitely helped. Like, you know, doing art is, a lot of it spending years trying to find your own voice. Like even yeah. Wes Anderson, I don't think he found like, I guarantee early Wes Anderson films didn't even look like Wes Anderson films. Early yeah. Quentin Tarantino films probably didn't look anything like Quentin Tarantino. And, uh, Hey, what's up, Louie? Louis. Um, <sighs> Louis in the house. <laughs> Get hype. Um, so Lou, we're talking about, um, finding your own voice and being creative. Um, and sometimes like doing that, I think is a journey in itself. And honestly, I'm as a filmmaker, I'm enjoying the journey. Um, I don't think I have my particular style yet. Yeah. Like the vaporwave and the eighties stuff and you, you love like fire and wrestling and, uh, just crazy stunts and everybody knows, knows you for that. Um, do you feel like, you solidified your style or do you think it'll even change in another 10 years? Well, I, I feel like there's always just a never ending, like, uh, like, you know, I don't know. People just kind of change over time with anything. I'm sure that, that, that me five years from now is going to have a, obviously going to have a way different outlook on, uh, on life than I do currently. But I feel as far as like my, my style, I feel like, like, like that's what I tell you like all the time. It's about finding what makes you different and what makes you stand out from, you know, the norm. Like people, sure. People can make little videos of them, you know, smoking cigarettes in parking garages. I mean, that's just like, like a common thing that people do. It's like a joke in our communities. But, um, like for me, I like fire. I like pro wrestling. I love all sorts of just different weird stuff that kind of is just associated with me as a person and as me as a filmmaker kind of like how you do a lot of, you know, the vaporwave stuff and an eighties aesthetic and nostalgic kind of, you know, feel. And I think that stuff is really cool too. So if you can just like, I don't know, like just really dive into that, but not just be exclusive to that, but really dive into that. The people can, you know, just, you can dominate like a niche that way. And for me, that's just what's worked best. I guess for me is just doing uh, a certain style of filmmaking. I, I very much do the gorilla style as well. A lot of times just picking up a camera and just going and making it up as it goes along. A lot of people will write down every single shot like to the second that they have in a music video. A lot of times we'll, I'll have like a log line and then we'll just shoot and make it up as we go. Because I like approaching filmmaking the same way I did as a kid where it's you, a camera, and a, you know, very light gear and a couple of friends and you guys are just hanging out, having fun. And a lot of times it's when you don't overthink it, that's when you get the best kind of stuff. And I've been on a lot of film sets with you and you hold that philosophy very true. Like you love the, the quickness and the rawness of guerrilla style filmmaking. Um, so do you ever see yourself being on those big film sets where somebody's yelling about a schedule and there's like 10 different PAs, three of them are doing nothing. Do you ever see yourself being on those kind of film sets? I don't know. You know, it's, it's one of those things where for me, I'm very content and happy with the way that I, approach filmmaking and maybe in some capacity like I do a lot of music video stuff but even then even on bigger music videos I still like to have a lot of a lot of fun so um, 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm I'm just a big a big fan of freedom, and I'm kind of a hippie in a way. So it's just it's just kind of uh, fun just to to play, but also work hard. So work hard, play hard, kind of kind of environment of sorts, and that's just kind of the thing I want to uh, create. Even if like I get on a set that's like really big, I still want to feel that same kind of way. It doesn't matter. So if someone gave me a million dollars to make, you know some kind of video like I'm still going to have all my friends and I'm still going to have a great time and it's still going to be a blast. There's not going to be any difference between Nathan Mallory when he was 15 years old filming at the sawmill and 28 year old Nathan that has like to create something besides just a little bit of money of extra resources for me. I just want to just continue to have fun. Filmmaking has always been fun for me and it's always been a way to express how I feel about the world and my, my interests and, yeah, I, I just I love filmmaking. I love it until the day that I die. And I think that's a good segue into your company, uh, Kind Punk. Uh, so um, you consider you. I've heard you say this a couple times. You're like a punk rock filmmaker, and that's what your brand is. You bring punk rock to filmmaking, guerrilla style, and just the the rawness of you know making a film. Um, so. To my knowledge, filmmaking isn't a music genre. So, how can you explain that? Yeah, so that's a good question. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, ask us a lot. So, I have a company called uh, Kind Punk. For those who don't know, um, I basically have just been Nathan Mowry up until about twenty at the end of twenty seventeen. I was like, you know what, I should probably come up with a brand name, and I was really thinking of like a really good name because I wanted to really express who I am as a person and also kind of have that feed into what I do film-wise. And one day, it just kind of hit me, like, kind punk. Like, for me, I believe in kindness. I believe in helping other people. I believe in just being nicer than necessary because we live in a world that's rather uh, dark and cynical and people like to be cutthroat and people like to, you know, just be, you know, cruel. And there's a lot of production and a lot of different sets that I've been on where I'm like, man, this is just some corporate lame like uncreative, uninspired, boring, like nonsense. Like there's nothing fun or creative or whatever about this. And I just hated it. I don't want to do talking heads. I don't want to do things that are boring or whatever. I wanted to create something that's really fun, you know? And uh, yeah, so I, I want to put emphasis on kindness because also if the word kind is in the name of your company, then it also holds you accountable because I can't be a jerk and have, be running a company called Kind Punk. So it's almost a ca- accountability, too, and a reminder of how important kindness is, especially in uh, today's world and climate. And on the other side of things, I'm also a big believer in punk rock. And I, I grew up a huge fan of punk music and the ideals that punk um, presents. And that's questioning authority and also just, you know, pushing back against the the status quo and also just doing things uh, in an individualistic uh, way and doing things your way and not doing the things that um, not going the way that was paved by other people, just kind of doing your own thing, you know, like, and that's the kind of way I like doing it. I like, like, I don't need to have like the, the nicest or craziest cameras and a billion dollars and a lot of people like we can just get, you know, a little group of people together and we'll just go in a car and we'll just jump out and find cool locations and make stuff there, blow things up, just get weird. Like that's, I, I love uh, doing filmmaking my way. And uh, a lot of people think that's the wrong way, but I don't think there is any rules at all to art. 
And if there is, I, I want to go against them anyway. So I, I do believe in healthy. Everybody needs a healthy sense of rebellion and everyone just needs to have fun and be creative. So kindness and punk rock are two things that I hold close to me in my life. And they're two parts of who I am that I always want to hold true to. So, um, and also believe that kindness is in and of itself a form of rebellion because people tend to, uh, just be cruel. And I just, we have enough tough guys, enough mean people in the world. We don't need any more. We need, we need people to help and uh, lift other people up. And, uh, I think that's what's more important, you know? So, mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. whenever you think of punk rock, or I feel like anyone does, I feel like there's two sides to it. So one side is the one that probably comes to your mind first. You think of like, you know, Billy Joe Armstrong, like rocking out, like some dude with a mohawk, a leather jacket. There's like spikes and belts. And then maybe he's like spray painting. Maybe he's playing Tony Hawk Pro Skater too. Um, and then you got the other side and it's the authoritative figure like wagging his finger like why are you doing this how dare you you're disrespectful so i guess my question is how do you how do you respectfully decline authority or um you know reject it respectfully and do it in a way that you know is also kind and also out of like the goodness of your heart does that make sense yeah it's kind of like a hard one to explain but it's kind of like you know, you're not obligated to do anything ever. Like if someone tells you, hey, this is the way you're supposed to do things, you don't have to do anything that person tells you ever. Like they're like them trying to bully you into a style is not changing literally anything. So there's a way of just not doing it. Like you, like it's like there's a lot of times it's people trying to push their thoughts or their agendas or their whatever on you. And if you can just, and if you just don't do it, like, I feel like that's probably one of the most respectful ways of doing it. Cause it's just like, Hey, like I don't owe you anything. Like I am not going to do things the way that you want me to do them. I'm going to do it this way. This is the way that I like to do it. And then I just, you just do it. Like there's a lot of times you don't have to ask permit. You don't need anyone's permission to do uh, art the way that you want to do it. Like, so when people tell you, hey, don't do it that way, you just don't, you just do it anyway. So that's kind of my way. Like when people tell me not to do something a certain way, but I know it's the way that I want to or need to, or it's just the most accurate way of expressing myself in the most authentic manner, then I want to do it that way because that's what I, what I believe in. And same thing with kindness or whatever. Like a lot of times the world will tell you, this is the way you do it. And uh, you don't have to do it that way. You can just do whatever you want. And I don't I want to stick that way and it doesn't matter if it bums people out because if people are upset with me or other people for the way that i do things that says more about them and their character than it does about mine and i and i believe in kindness and being respectful but at the same time it's like i'm going to do things the way that i need to do things and want to do things and there's not a force on earth that's going to tell me that i can or can't that's awesome um so i've been on a huge nirvana kick lately and uh, one of my favorite like stories about rebellion and like the coolest way possible is uh, I think I, we talked about this the other day, but um, the video, have you seen the video of Nirvana where they're on this TV show in Britain and they told Kurt and the band, they were like, Hey, uh, you guys are going to perform smells like teen spirit, but you guys are going to have a track and Kurt, you're going to sing over oh, it. So yeah. just pretend like you're playing. And Kurt was like, like are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> he was like, are, are you kidding me? Like, no, we play our instruments. Like, and then they pretty much told him like, well, you either do that or you don't play at all. 
So yeah. Kurt and the band, they were like, you know what? Let's just screw this. Like, let's just play the way we want to play. So they get up there and Kurt, like, like I'm, I'm not a guitarist, but the opening of Smells Like Teen Spirit, your hand would be like, Kurt's just going. <laughs> and Dave Grohl in the back on the drums, just, it's not even like touching. My favorite part though is um, before the chorus, whenever the snare drum's like, instead of hitting the snare drum, Dave hits the cymbals. He just like plays everything backwards. It's so beautiful. Like, I feel like that's the best way, like, uh, I'm sure a lot of old people are like, how dare they? They are disrespecting, you know, some, I mean, they were paying them. Come on. And, but no, like Kurt and Dave and Chris, they, they had morals and uh, the way they wanted to play art and live life. And these people are going against that. So I feel like that was the best way to rebel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think just like, just because like, uh, you know, you, you want, if you want to be nice, doesn't mean like you can just let people tell you what to do or boss you around. Cause that's not what it's about. You know, mm-hmm. like no one's going to tell me like what to do, like, uh, in that regard. So yeah, just create, there's no rules to create, create, there's no rules to creativity. There's no rules of marketing. If you want to create something for your brand and you want to just, do, just do it, just who cares? You don't need to ask anybody's permission. Just go do it. <laughs> yeah, totally. So I feel like we deteriorated or we uh, reared off on your timeline also, but uh, we haven't even gotten to the coolest part. Uh, so you're working at DDP for a couple of years. Mm. And then this guy, you know, pro- no one's ever probably heard of him. Chris Jericho. He, I think he's like an up and coming wrestler uh, came up and needed a music video. And how did you respond to that? Tell me about you that know, story. So Chris Jericho, um, he is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. An argument could be made that he is the greatest wrestler of all time, one of the greatest entertainers. And over the past, like, since, you know, man, he's been in the main, like, mainstream main event scene for several decades. Like, he is, like, an accomplished guy. Like, like I said, could make an argument very easily that he's better. I think he's better than, you know, like – a lot of uh, different people. He's up there with The Rock, Stone Cold, and whoever else. But um, so there was a time where Jericho, who's friends with Dallas, came to DDP Yoga, and they were in the the studio room, and they they uh, were having like a photo shoot. And then Jericho was looking at the room, and he was like, "Man, this would be a really cool place to do a music video." And Steve, uh, the president of DDP Yoga, was like, "Oh, well, Nathan, he does music videos." And then Jericho's like, oh, okay, well, let me get your contact. And and then everyone was looking at me like, oh, Jericho, why don't you contact? Oh, my God. Oh, like a really attractive girl. <laughs> like one of my number. Like, oh. <laughs> you know, but it was cool. So um, and we talked about like a music video. It's like ideas and everything. And I, I kind of pitched to him like my own kind of thoughts I wanted. And we ended up doing the music video for Judas. And then uh, like it was like a one sh- – it was a one-take – uh, music video where everything was sped up. I was on fire for it. It was just a lot going on, and yeah, we we shot it, and I was able to finish the edit before we like anybody even left the set. And so I remember talking to Jericho. He's like, "Man, great stuff today. Whenever you get a chance, uh, send that on over to me." And I was like, "Oh, I've already emailed it to you." And he's like, "Oh," and then he went to a restaurant or bar, or whatever later, and he watched it. And he's like, "This is the best video we've ever had. Oh my god, this is amazing!" Like. 
I don't even need and to. That was a good it. feeling, wasn't it? Yeah, he was just like, I don't even need to. I, I, it's funny, as corny as it sounds. I have that email saved on my phone because it was just like, this is the we've had. Like, it's out, like amazing. I don't even need to see any other takes. This is the one. Like, he was just so stoked. By the way, you think that's corny? Do you know how many people would probably frame that email in their house? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't know, but it was just maybe <laughs> frame it. Like, because that was one of the best texts, or not texts, but emails I've ever gotten. So, um, yeah, that just made me incredibly happy. And and then they dropped the video, and then the video got a lot of views. Like, it's like ridiculous. Like, um, mm. I remember, like, they dropped it. I was like, cool. And Fozzie, like, up until that point, they had one video. I, I want to say, I could be wrong. Um, I think it was Sandpaper that had a million close to a million. Maybe they didn't even have a million on sandpaper. But when Judas dropped, like it took off. And I think it's probably at 35 million now or something. Wow. Like that. Yeah. It's as a, a lot. So do you know, do you remember how many it got in a day? The first day it was posted. I remember it like got, I don't, I, I don't really remember the exact numbers. So I don't want to uh, say the wrong thing, but I know that we got to, and at least very, very fast. And they were like, oh, this is already most few videos done for like a day or two. And wow. It was just really cool. It was a really awesome thing. And then uh, from there, Jericho was like, well, Nathan's my guy. So then I went on and I did three more Fozzie videos from there. And now I get, got roped to All Elite Wrestling. And then Jericho is signed to All Elite Wrestling. So now he like uh, loves to have me do his stuff. And that's, that's just the coolest thing ever for his just some wrestling fan homeschool kid from Polk County, Tennessee to become, you know, to work with Chris Jericho and to be someone that he uh, uh, likes to work with. And he actually enjoys or respects my work, which is. That uh, really is an incredible story. Like not a lot of people can say that the thing that they loved growing up as a kid is now their job. So like, what do you think like 14 year old Nathan would say? to like you right now do you think he would even believe you dude it's just like man with 14 year old nathan all he did was make videos with his friends and watch pro wrestling and 28 year old nathan all he does is watch wrestling and make videos with his friends so the only difference in life is for some whatever whatever reason someone gives me a paycheck for it so i feel like i'm getting away with murder it's just like uh an unbelievable blessing and i can't believe them in the spot that i'm in and Man, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just, just a blessing, dude. Like, I, I love wrestling. I love filmmaking. And the fact that I get to do both is just incredible. That's awesome. So, yeah, let's talk about AEW. Like, you're working at DDP Yoga. Um, and then this weird thing that's getting started is called AEW, All Elite Wrestling. Yeah. And do you remember, or what was that first day like whenever uh, either Dallas or uh, our boss Steve like came up to you and was like, "Hey, you're gonna go film this." Well, it's called it, a, all the wrestling. Yeah. So uh, Cody Rhodes, who is like uh, one of the EVPs of uh, AEW, he's kind of like it's kind of like his brainchild to some degree, and mm-hmm. that like that's kind of like uh, Dallas is like his mentor, um, almost like a kind of like an older brother, almost like an uncle, kind of like uh, feeling that he had. And so Dallas was like, okay, you're starting this thing called Ollie wrestling. And you can watch APM on TNT every Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
Dallas basically loans me and all these other all the other people, Dylan and Steve and like the whole company, the whole DDP Yoga production team to do videos for AEW. And then once we started, like Cody was like, man, these guys are great. These guys are creating some good stuff. We created like this thing called Road 2. And you can uh, type in AEW Road 2. And you'll see a lot of kind of content that we create there. It's all these stories about all these pro wrestlers that are involved in AEW. And Dylan Freimer really brings that to life. He's just an amazing editor. And same with Steve. He's one of probably the smart. He's probably the smartest human being I've ever met, honestly. He's a genius. And uh, like... Uh, and uh, also, I don't know if Louie's still watching, but I really love Louie. I just wanted to throw it out there. He is just a great um, guy. I yeah, wanted to give a quick shout out to Louie. He is hosting me right now on his channel, and I really appreciate that, man. Man, Louie is huge. What a guy. We probably have 90 billion people watching currently. We have exactly eight, but I am still very thankful for you, Louie. That is eight more than I thought, or seven more. <laughs> we had 10 or 11 at one point. Double digits. Whoa. That's yeah. But uh, so that's kind of cool. That um, did you ever want to shoot for WWE, or do you think all elite wrestling is like where you'd want to be? Yeah, man, I don't want to work for WWE. It's it, WWE seems to be everything that I am not about. And AEW takes that punk rock, fun DIY spirit, and uh, everything that I love because it's basically they just took they took all of the best independents. And they a company with a lot of other big main event names like your Chris Jericho's and, and whatnot. And uh, that's like, there's not a company, there's not a wrestling company on the planet that I'd rather work for more than AEW. It's just everything that I love about pro wrestling in one. I think it blows WWE out of the water, personally. I know I'm a little biased, but I am a lifelong wrestling fan, so bias removed, I would still think that even if I wasn't involved in AEW. It's just, um, I feel like people who watched wrestling in the late 90s, early 2000s, elapsed wrestling fans, they're like getting it back into it. A lot of my friends I remember growing up with like, yeah, I liked it when I was a kid or whatever, but now it's just kind of lame. Now people are saying like, dude, I'm starting to watch AEW and this was the coolest thing ever. And I'm like, see, this is what wrestling could be if the wrestling was done right. So again, to those eight people that are still watching for whatever reason, go watch AEW on Wednesdays, and maybe you'll see me in the corner with a camera. We've seen uh, you and Robert a couple times. Yeah, Robert gets a lot of airtime for whatever reason. <laughs> he was so, in the ring at one point, I think, in one shot. That blew my mind. They didn't even tell me that Robert was <laughs> in the ring. And I was just like, what? what is Robert doing up there? That's my roommate. <laughs> We made video like it's and it's cool and full circle like uh, Robert um, ended up getting a job here at DDP Yoga and AEW and yeah uh, and now the team is basically on the road team the ones that go out it's me and Robert primarily and so it's like man here we are like when we were like five years old we were making videos with our mom's cameras and now you know we're adults and now we're traveling across the United States to uh, film wrestling on a weekly basis. And that is amazing. So the moral of the story is take that chance because you you can and will accomplish your dreams if you put the work in and you just don't let what other people think mess with your brain too much. Absolutely. And uh, so what do you think? Because there's still a lot of people that just think wrestling is lame or it's for kids. But uh, here you are, a 28-year-old man, like still very much 
enthusiastic about wrestling. So, yeah. um, what do you think? What what makes wrestling like just cool in general? And it's, it's 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 very unique art form because it is a mix of entertainment and it's also reality. It's it's more real than Game of Thrones, but it's more entertaining than MMA because it's somewhere in between. And I think the art lies in the blurriness of that line. And I think that you just you mix stunt, you mix theater, and you have all these characters and different storylines. But then you do all this crazy, impressive athleticism, and it's this never-ending show that never ends, never has an off season, and it's just I don't know. I could there's so many different reasons and why I've been captivated by it. And it's something that I have from the second that I first watched it as a kid to now, I've just, my passion for it has just never died. I, I love it. And for a lot of people, they're just not going to get it like a lot of different things, but it is a very unique art form. If people give it a chance to learn what it is, like uh, people will probably have a better appreciation. There's a video called wrestling isn't wrestling. I think I showed it to you. You it's, did. It's a great video. I highly recommend it. It's, if you want to understand, like that's that almost puts it in a really good perspective. Like if you want to just kind of get a good uh, idea, maybe I'll do a video about why wrestling is cool. Because I think it is cool. I think it's like one of the it coolest is. things. And people need to, uh, um, yeah, people should just give it a shot on Wednesday nice. nights. Louis, you met you met Max Landis. That's cool. Was that uh, Louis met the guy that made the video, Max Landis. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Um, I like what he said at, towards the very end. Like, um, So for those of you who haven't watched yet. Oh, that's yes. cool. You're also friends with one of the producers. But uh, so the, the main wrestler that he focuses on is Triple H. And I didn't really know much about Triple H or really much about wrestling, even until I met like Nathan Mowry. But I watched this video and I... I grew an even bigger appreciation for wrestling, even though it's, it's still not my favorite thing in the world, but I get it now. I get why people love it. And nobody really cares like how big triple H's muscles are or how many flips he can do in the ring. He's just a great character. Like he has this whole arc. (laughs) You're you're a mic cut out. What'd you say? Oh, I said he can't do any flips in the ring, (laughs) but uh, it was just insane. Like, uh, I love whenever he's going through. Uh, uh, I remember he or in the video it says like the Swashler told him like if I beat you you can't wrestle anymore, and then he became like this the vice president of the company or whatever. It's just a crazy story. You guys got to watch the video. Just watch it and then maybe you'll understand why I love this goofy thing called wrestling. It's, it's, I love it. Just give it a shot. You might yeah. surprise. Like I've I've started wrestling to people, and then once they kind of get that rest what wrestling is, like. Uh, then maybe you'll like it. I don't know. I, I just like it. I'm going to like it whether or not you guys like it. So <laughs> Yeah. Also, I just realized that my dad is in the chat right now. He said, big thanks, Nathan, for helping Trevor, inspiring many others, and inspiring many others. i got to go DPD, which is code for sleep. <laughs> nice. Well, enjoy your sleep. Trevor's dad, Tracy Hancock, the man. Um, my dad is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I Yeah. And that's, and that's a cool thing, man. Like, uh, I love that you're. You also have taken that chance of, like, you know, moving from your parents' house to moving down here. And I think it's, Thanks, man. you know, it's kind of like, ah, man, this is kind of like, I don't know when it's going to pay off, but now I feel like it's. Oh, as the months go by, it's kind of paying off for you more and more, and you've 
only gotten more creative and created more fun things. And I feel like really gotten, um, uh, starting to get, uh, become more of who you are as a creative and as a person. And it's a really cool thing to see. Thank so you, it's man. Cool. Like, uh, it's really cool I get to play it even a small part in that, you know? No, dude, you've played one of the biggest parts. Um, one of my new favorite things to say is Nathan is, both giving me giving me the most opportunities to make money and he's also taken the most amount of money away from me more than anyone else from that because nathan's my landlord i'm also trevor's landlord so yeah. nathan but, gets uh, either way so not only do you work in wrestling and you've worked with wrestlers you work for diamond dallas page you also have your own wrestling company called southern honor wrestling uh what can you tell me about that so Southern Honor Wrestling, it's basically uh, Gary Lamb and Dylan Freimeyer and me. Like we all run a company, and it's generous. Dylan works at DDP Yoga as well. He works at DDP Yoga and AEW, and me and Dylan just work together a lot, just in general. He's a great guy. He's a real. Do you ever get tired of him? Uh, yes, uh, I've been tired. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I love Dylan. He's he's the best. But um, basically, Rich Ward from Plazzi, which is Jericho's band, got. Got me and Dylan in touch with Gary in Canton, Georgia, and uh, we wanted to run a wrestling uh, show. And because uh, we were just looking at the the scene in Georgia, and there were some re- there's some really cool you know companies and wrestlers and stuff that kind of go on in Georgia. But we were like, you know, with our connections and our you know I you know our uh, experience in the world of wrestling, we really think that we could offer State of Georgia something different, something really cool. And uh, we decided to do Southern Honor Wrestling. And, uh, yeah, we've been going since the end of um, 2018. And this past year, we were voted the best wrestling promotion in Georgia. And Dylan was voted the best wrestling booker of Georgia. And we had the best wrestling show of Georgia. So we really swept all the awards. I'm really proud of it. If you And have, a regular wrestler won the best female wrestler or something like that, right? Danny Jordan? Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, Danny was best female wrestler of Georgia. Mm-hmm. I think that was two years in a row for her. And there was a lot of other best technician with the Joe Black. Like we swept the awards, honestly. It was really cool. So um, just to be able to express ourselves creatively in that outlet as well, but also still being in the world of wrestling. And and it's cool because like we like that's something I know that me and Dylan love. And even when we see like kids that come to the show, like for instance, uh, Louie, the, the party planner, is his. Yeah, Louie, you know, Louie, he, he has this guy named the Party Planner. And, like, unfortunately, Party Planner's character um, got essentially broken up with. And it was a heartbreaking scenario. And it was funny. There was um, some, like, uh, Grizz from work, like, from DDPO. He was messaging me saying, like, man, my daughter and her friend, they are like, crying at, like, Louie, like, <laughs> and, or Party Planner's uh, ultimate thing. So it was... It's funny, like having, um, like, uh, yeah, just uh, almost like give like kids or other people the same experience that I've loved and benefited from. And, and I know that Dylan feels the same way. And I really do. And I say this any chance that I get on every podcast that I get. I think Dylan Freimeyer is a genius when it comes to pro wrestling. And I think people will start to notice that as the years kind of progress. But Southern Honor Wrestling, if you have like, uh, like independent wrestling TV, like uh, you can, you, so you can get five days free using SHW as a promo code on independent wrestling.tv. Ooh. Yeah. 
yeah, look at me plugging stuff. But if you do that, you can go away. Plug, plug away. Yeah. So Southern, yeah, Southern Honor Wrestling. Go to southernhonorwrestling.com, independentwrestling.tv. Use promo code SHW. Get five days free, and that's enough time to watch all of our shows. And you can see what all the all the hooting and hollering has been about. And you can and we know you're not me. doing anything, so. Yeah, we know you're not doing anything. Everything is closed. You're stuck inside. You're looking for things to do. I've already explained why pro wrestling is great. So this is your opportunity to kind of experiment itself. And you get to see the best wrestling in Georgia by watching Southern Honor. Type it into your Google machine. You know how the internet works. Absolutely. So where do you see Southern Honor five years from now? Do you think it'll like blow up even more? Or do you think you'll outgrow the action building? Um, I don't know. I don't know if we want to outgrow the action building, but there's been there's been a lot of talks, a lot of things we kind of keep on the DL about the future of Southern Honor. I'm really excited about it. I feel like we still have even bigger things to come. So we've done a lot in a very short amount of time, but I feel like we have a lot more in store. I feel like this is just the beginning. So we will see. And uh, there's a lot of things we got to keep secret. So. We, we will see as the future continues, but hopefully we can continue every year being the best wrestling company in Georgia and win that award every single year and just getting better and better and becoming one of the best, uh, you know, companies in America, you know, one of the best indies period. So I think we have everything that we need to uh, make that kind of happen. Nice. Well, um, I think we're going to try to wrap this up, Nathan, but uh, I think I'll ask you a, a couple more questions and then we'll call sure. it quits. But um, so I had to pee this entire time. So that's. Oh, I, really? Yeah. I am. Oh, man. I told you to go. Suffering, Trevor. Yeah. Well, I thought I did. So <laughs> it's all good. Um, so is there anything else you want to say before you know we close out, Nathan? Is there anything you want to tell the people or just something you want to get off your chest? <laughs> Uh, I guess to the eight people, <laughs> if there's still eight, I don't know how many people are, but I think like this is something that I kind of um, just tell everybody, and I've mentioned it a billion times. It's kind of the whole crux of why I'm about, and it's and it's uh, again, um, we all have something that we want to do. We all have something that we dream about. We have a dream job. We we want to be creatives. We want we want to paint or be Disney princesses, or we always we want to drive NASCARs or jump off of things or just make movies or be actors or play in bands or whatever it is that you want to do. Like it doesn't even have to be a creative thing is you want to be a doctor, you want to be a whatever, like you have the ability to do that. It, there is absolute assets available for you to take and to do and to make the most out of. I don't care what you are, what your background is. I do believe that if you put the work in and you just literally no pun intended be relentless at your goals you can accomplish like a lot of different things i think our dreams are a lot easier to accomplish than we really think that they are and a lot of times it just starts off in your brain and you have to get this right first and once you get that right um everything else will slowly start falling into place so um we get so many laps from the sun and then before we know it's over a lot of us drop dead in our 20s and we're not expecting it. We're all thinking we're going to be living until we're old. So um, make those moves now because we only get one one shot at this. So it like if you were waiting for a sign to go chase after the thing you need to chase, then I would say this is that sign for you. Go chase what it is that you want to chase. Live that dream. Live that goal because you absolutely can. And it might not be easy, but it's definitely worth it. 
and uh, you just got to keep doing, uh, keep keep at it, keep on keeping on. So. Heck yes. And Nathan, um, I'll, we'll end this by, you know, you plugging everything. Tell me where I, we can find Kind Puck, where we can find you. Yes. Uh, Southern Honor Wrestling, AEW, where can we find all that? Like, also, I want to mention that last thing I said, like, it's, it's not always easy, it's always worth it. That's a Christina Russell quote. And I keep, I'll keep it on as a Joe Dirt quote. So I will go on to plug in my stuff now. Um, you can follow me at Nathan Mowry, which is, which is right here. I think I don't know if that shows up on your screen that way, but at Nathan Mary on everything at kind punk film at everything. And, uh, yeah. And Southern Honor wrestling, like, uh, go to Southern and yeah, watch AEW Wednesday nights, 8 PM Eastern time on TNT. And, uh, yeah, just follow me and see all the things me and my goofy friends are up to. And, uh, if you see me in real life, uh, hand me a high five. Just give me a good old high five once this whole quarantine. A crisp high five. That's what you always say. A crispy high five. Give me, I guarantee it will be crispy. If it's not, then we will do a do-over as all white people do. Absolutely. So. Nathan Mowry, everyone. Thank you so much. If I had a sound effect saying, I'd play a big old uh, audience applause. All right. Cool. Yeah, Thank you so much, Nathan. Absolutely. I'm going to go use the bathroom. Heck yeah. Thank do you. It. Team Louie. Team Louie. Oh man, this is going to take forever.